Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box, with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. Hey, Mia Hull with you on FBI Radio 94.5, streaming online or on the podcast. This is Out of the Box. It's the place where every Thursday from 12 to 1, I sit down with one person and look at their record collection and the stories from their life and how those things interact. Today I'm broadcasting from Redfern, which is one of the heartlands of Indigenous resistance. It also means I'm broadcasting on unceded Aboriginal land, so I want to take this moment to pay my respects to Gadigal elders, past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to any First Nations person listening right now. Gadigal people have been sharing stories and songs on this land since the beginning of time. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today I'm joined by contemporary dancer and choreographer Brianna Kell and I reckon this episode of Out of the Box might make you think a little bit differently about dance as an art form. It certainly was the case for me researching it. Brianna has lived an exciting life as a dancer up and down the east coast of Australia and in Tassie as well and she's joining me ahead of her show at Campbelltown Arts Centre. It's called The Other Side and she's joined forces with experimental duo Party Dozen to make it happen. So we'll talk about that later in the show and all about Brianna's life as an artist. Brianna, thank you so much for joining me on Out of the Box today. Thank you, Mia, for having me. It's so exciting to be here. (laughs) It's exciting to tell your story through, I suppose, a completely different medium for you as well. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, I'm very, yeah, just like thinking through the body, but now through the words. Through the mouth. (laughs) A little dance with your mouth. little dance of my mouth. (laughs) Well, let's start before your story even began. I want to go back to where your parents first met. Do you know that story? I do. Yes. So both my parents are English teachers and they met romantically um, in the hallways of Camden High School. And I think there were some wonderful, I guess, literary words spoken to one another and their love blossomed. (laughs) It's beautiful. And so did you grow up in Camden as well? I did, yes, Darawa country. And it was a really spacious upbringing. Luckily, our house um, backed up onto a paddock and farm, so it wasn't an unusual sight to see cows in our backyard uh, every now and then, a goanna or two. Amazing. Mm. Did you have siblings to hang out in the backyard with too? Yes, I have uh, one brother. His name's Tristan. He's a couple of years older than me. And... We were, uh, I guess, pretty wild and had a lot of freedom, which was really special growing up, yeah. You and the cows and and your brother and the (laughs) goannas. And, yeah, you said your parents were English teachers, but you've obviously gone on to pursue a pretty creative life. Was that something that was happening around you when you were growing up? Um, We were always encouraged um, to spend as much time outside as possible. And, yeah, the the idea of being bored in our household was absolutely discouraged. Like it was a swear word. It was like you cannot be bored, make your own Mm. entertainment. And we didn't have like any of the – I was about to say gadgets. Oh, my God, how old am I? (laughs) (laughs) The, the small handheld gadgets. Um, so we were outside a lot and my brother and I have, um, I guess we share like quite vivid imaginations. Um, so, yeah, as young people, we were always creating different 
kind of experimental and like outside became our playground sometimes it wouldn't even be um us together we'd be in like separate parts of the backyard uh exploring the depths of our imagination and often I would be like looking at the beautiful gum trees or like the swell in the grass and how it like um, moved in different ways and yeah I really felt that physically and could capture that within my body and so oftentimes when we like came back to discuss what we'd been exploring um mine was like a physical representation Mm -hmm. and my brother's was an elaborate story I want to talk about your grandmother Brie because it sounded like she was a creative woman Mm -hmm. what do you remember about her Uh, my grandma was this incredibly intelligent woman she's Scottish and had such a vivid kind of relationship to her family but also was an artist herself she painted she like knit incredible jumpers um made like different works in the kitchen um but yeah I feel like she was also had the barrier of like her era um she would have been probably a remarkable doctor um and at the time was only able to pursue nursing and just like the level of dialogues that we would have as a young person and watching this woman who had this like special pizzazz in every space that she was in was really um quite inspiring and she always encouraged me as well like I was always like describing things differently and she would always encourage that um she also wrote me letters Mm. and I had I still I've kept them all and they're like so special very postmodern like sometimes she'd be discussing um you know the oven and how she's like cooking chips and then all all like just quickly um swap to um if there was this handsome person in the corner Mm. and I was like wow how to keep up with this letter (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's so special to have a snapshot into her life like that as Mm. well I have all these old letters from my grandmother and yeah I, I love reading them as yeah these funny snapshots in time she's like the autumn leaves are falling I went for a drive they look so nice I've got Spanish tonight yes and like I love those they're so nice (laughs) it's like amazing because you're right there with them yeah and then all of a sudden you're there with the the memory of something that's happened yeah and uh I think the act and like pace of writing a letter sending it waiting for it is really special Mm. and her I guess like quiet encouragement along the way was always really like a warming kind of encouragement that Mm. I held on to. My parents were also like exceptionally um, supportive of, you know, the myriad dance classes that I needed to take, um, the early mornings, the late nights, the pickups, drop-offs, all of that. But I knew that within the realm of like, you know, as a young dancer, you're kind of doing like jazz, tap, Mm -hmm. um, hip-hop, like the whole spectrum, ballet, but... I really thrived in the spaces where I got to make my own choices or my own decisions and absolutely adored making my own dances and sharing what that was with like my peers and taking that home showing showing my grandma showing my <laughs> my brother and like my family and yeah I feel like it wasn't maybe until like high school where 
the commitment or that drive really solidified because I had to travel quite a long distance to get there and yeah Camden to the city was an hour and a half each way and I'd get home at like 9pm some days but I didn't really question it I just really Mm. enjoyed that experience and the rigor of the practice. (laughs) I guess that also speaks to your parents encouragement as well that they Mm. were sending you all the way to the city to do high school. So were you at a performing arts school? Yes, yeah. So I went to um, Newtown Performing Arts and I will be forever grateful that my parents um, allowed that journey um, because they were both teaching at the only two high schools in Camden at the time and had decided that they didn't want their children going to the schools. So yeah, it was either a Catholic or girls school for me or um, this performing arts opportunity and I remember just being so elated at the fact that I was able to go in there and I have these vivid memories of like going to school and having these like beautiful different like kind of palette of people and um, experiences at the school and then going back to Camden sometimes when if I was sick I had to go to school and like see my parents and I was like why is everyone so quiet like what are they doing in the um, the lunch yard. Mm. Is lunch yard a thing? Again, like showing my age here. <laughs> In the lunch yard. With all their gadgets. Yeah, their <laughs> gadgets. That's it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, everyone was just so quiet and I just feel like, you, you know, if you'd walk through the um, quadrangle of Newtown, there'd be people playing their instruments, practising a monologue, dancing, playing sport. Uh, it was just like, quite vivid experience which yeah again forever grateful of that support that my parents allowed me to do that travel. You'll sing to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5 the person speaking is <laughs> Brianna Kell choreographer and dancer and we're going to jump into the first song you've chosen mm. it's by Pleasure. Why'd you pick this one? I picked this one because purely for vibe and like, <laughs> the energy that it gives me and I have spent a lot of time in studios dancing and improvising to this song and to this particular album and I just absolutely kind of adore how it makes my body move. It's called Please Just Stroll 191012 on FBI Radio 94.5. Pleasure on Out of the Box and FBI Radio 94.5. The song was called Please Stroll 191012 and it was chosen by my guest on the show today, contemporary dancer and choreographer Brianna Kell. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Just before we played that song, we talked about your life studying at a performance arts school in mm. Newtown and you kind of didn't give up on dance there. You moved to study it further at university. Was that a hard choice for you? It kind of sounds like that was a natural progression. Oh, my gosh. Actually, it was a really um, interesting moment. It had this, like, crossroads where I enrolled in international studies in, I don't know, one of the Sydney unis, and I was all set to do that with one of my best mates and was 
quite passionate about studying that and then spending a year abroad. And then all of a sudden, two weeks before, I was like, actually, no, I've got to give dancing a go. I'm young and need to pursue this now. And so made the big choice to, yeah, move to NAM and um, study at the VCA. And it led to three years of quite a big shift in my understanding of what dance could be, what performance could be, and also enabled me to like work with such myriad different artists, choreographers, and build a beautiful relationship to the Melbourne dance scene and um, make some long-lasting collaborative friendships. (laughs) I want to dig into what you mean when you talk about your understanding of dance Mm. shifting. Mm. I mean, remember you're talking to someone who doesn't understand (gasps) dance that well, but yeah, earlier you talked about, you know, learning it at a young age and, Mm. you know, being stuck in those more rigid styles of, you know, ballet, tap, hip hop. When you talk about your idea of dance shifting, do you just mean it expanding bigger than those things? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, the rigidity I would mostly be referring to would be classical forms. So Mm. your classical ballet, contemporary technique taught in a very specific kind of boxed way. And in some ways that continued at VCA. For my first year, I genuinely didn't like it. I actually re-enrolled in international studies and Mm. thought about packing up my bags and moving back to back to Sydney but something happened in my second year where I decided no I'll keep going and we had a choreographer from London come over and work with text work with materials work with improvisation and I realized at that moment that I didn't have to copy a shape or replicate the other people in the room like I didn't have to be the carbon copy of the person standing in front of me at the bar I could actually bring in my unique kind of ideas my understanding of um the body or like creativity use the voice as well like dance all of a sudden shifted from everyone being the same to everyone harnessing their individuality and actually welcoming the difference in the room which that excited me and that's when I went oh okay yes let's do this when you talk about that I think of this innate individuality as well and how when you talked about your childhood and being outside, you know, you could see patterns in the way grass swelled around or Mm. it felt like the world around you seemed quite tactile. Yeah. Is that kind of what you were bringing to dance? Yeah, I think so. I feel like I'm a very sensitive person in like a lot of ways, like sensitive to energy in the room, sensitive to feelings. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I really do see like the spaces and um that I'm like in and how that tactility of that can like inform the body and I really like feeling those sensitivities and like bringing that into the movement so dance when I like first begin it's like all about sensorial experiences like the touch of it the how the pants like shift against the skin how my hair feels like what am I seeing what am I feeling what am I touching and then how to craft the space like so if I'm making the movement or like building choreography it's it's very much like one what does the body feel but also what's the audience going to see and Mm. can you create an ambience like can you feel it together Um, and I think that's the puzzle that I'm still intrigued by. 
I'm intrigued by it. <laughs> I think dance is dance to music, but mm. it sounds like it's so much more than that for you. Yeah, absolutely. Like music is such a wonderful part of it and informs, uh, I guess, like the textures within the room or textures on the stage. But a lot of the time I start in silence or like start with a visual image, um, bring in substances to like work with and substances by being like um, paint or different textures, photographs, films, everything inspires the, the making process but how the body interacts with that is becoming clearer and clearer the older I get throughout my practice. And yeah, I really, I really investigate the spaces that I'm in as well. And tell a story. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go to your grad show Mm. at at the end of your time studying in Melbourne. What was that like? Well, I was in two very, very, very vastly different pieces. Um, one work which was like highly physical um virtuosic extreme kind of like theatricality and the other that was like a really beautiful organic piece where um it was quite like partner central and so at that time there was a um director of a dance company Annie Gregg and she came to watch the show and after the um performance uh, gave me her card and asked me to um, reach out to her. And it was it was absolutely a huge deal for me. Mm. Um, it took me maybe two months of a drafted email in my inbox um, to her. And then when I finally emailed, she invited me to Tasmania to um, work with the company. And that was my yeah first professional uh, gig in Tasmania. And I worked with Taz Dance um, for five years. I know it's a big question to ask Mm. you to summarise five years, but, you know, you talk about the way that that period that you had at uni shifting your understanding Mm. of dance. Did you maybe go through another metamorphosis in Tassie or did it shift anything for you? Yeah, absolutely. So Taz Dance worked as um, what's called like a repertoire company at the time. So that means that each year we remounted a a previous work that the company had done and also a new choreographer would come in. So I was being exposed to brand new work and also having to learn like um, different styles of work. It meant that I had to be quite chameleonized in terms of like performance spaces. We would also do double bills. Uh, the people that I was working with at the time were extraordinary. The artists were phenomenal and the space in Tassie um, being in that in Launceston in a beautiful kind of like natural environment as well was really harmonious for creative dreaming and I found out quickly what processes I really enjoyed and what processes were uh, really quite um, difficult we'll say and yeah it, it, it kind of made me hungry for more choreographic opportunities I I realized that I love dancing of course but there's something else about the process that I'm like so interested in and how to do that I became a sponge in the last like year of Taz Dance and when I was off contract, I would always come back to Sydney and work with like really amazing, like um, kind of independent companies like Dirty Feed and um, Murmuration, which is an accessible company. So learning a lot in those in-between contract spaces as well. But yeah, Taz Dance for the big tours and the projects was, uh, yeah, that pivot point where I went, okay, 
that was that's fantastic loved that now what's next (laughs) yeah and we'll explore what was next in a few minutes but first we'll jump into a song what's the next one you've picked I have picked Mariella by Karun Bin and this song is I think a dream for an afternoon and it feels like warm weather it feels like someone caressing I was about to say your eyeballs, which is absolutely not. I'm going to say your ears. <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> Maybe I'll write a letter from this little old country town down in Texas. You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5 DAB or streaming via the podcast or on the website fbiradio.com. My name is Mia Hull. I have the pleasure of sitting down with contemporary dancer and choreographer Brianna Kell. And we're going to sidestep from the timeline that we've been on a little bit. Brie, where were you in life Mm. when you first started to notice that maybe your periods were more painful than other people's? Yes. Oh my goodness. So actually when I was like first, when I first got my period, so that would have been like 12, 13, I would pass out, vomit, um, have to take a few days off school, even as a really young, a young person. Um, and my mom was really sympathetic, but she also experienced the same symptoms. So it was quite normal in my household for this so went on the pill from a very young age and then it wasn't until I came off the pill at around like 25 26 and the pain started to come back um really heavy periods Mm. and um fatigue and I just started to notice oh okay this is quite debilitating and especially alongside a physical um practice I was finally like okay something's happening what what is it and so I started to investigate and the process of the investigation actually was really draining like it took so long many years and then it only officially diagnosed in 2019 with um endometriosis yeah and now um at 33 years old uh and since being diagnosed with endometriosis after having the surgery and all of the, uh, I guess, medical appointments that happen with that. I've now also been diagnosed with adenomyosis. So two debilitating, unfortunately, chronic illnesses that impacting my day-to-day. But I've been very fortunate, actually, to work with uh, companies and also structures like that have supported different ways of working in the space. But it really did it was such a confronting experience for me because after the surgery and for anyone um after the surgery I had to really rethink how I moved um and what my I guess trajectory as a dancer choreographer Mm. would be and that far into your practice as well yeah absolutely and it felt like I was really kind of at this like point where lots of things were happening and I was like really excited Um, And so the impact was very big. I 
was very fortunate though a local studio um, in Sydney offers these like three-day space grants um, which is free space and um, a small like stipend and so I applied um, and I think I called the residency or in the application it was like reimagining the pace of the moving body and I worked with uh, an incredible photographer Kate DeShaquille and spent three days post-surgery in the um, studio working at a really slow and beautiful pace Mm. and just acknowledging that from now on dance will be different and dance can still happen and that was uh, a really nice experience but also I'm really conscious that a lot of the time I actually don't tell anyone I don't talk about it I keep it kind of hidden um, especially now that I work for a like it's a very it's a prestigious like Mm. full-time contemporary dance company Australian dance theatre and I'm really very fortunate that my colleagues and my the beautiful director Daniel Riley is 100% supportive Um, Mm. but for a while I was really fearful of what it means like oh you can't do that we'll replace you and dance often has this um, replaceability of it the the dancer that can be uh, the next person in line that role can be replaced and it's it's a really hard and sad feeling when you spend your career working towards something and for yeah. your body to kind of make you feel like it's failing you. Yeah, you'd feel so cheated. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes like that's that's work that, you know, I have to do to be like, no, this is this is the body that I have and it's it's working really really wonderfully. I guess the idea of like speaking about it is important especially like I was tutoring at a university and looked around at all the youthful faces and realised that it's one in ten people that um, have endometriosis. And so if I talk about it and they know that I'm dancing, that I'm working and pursuing this as a career, that they too can. I mean, for someone listening who might not be familiar with endo or adenometriosis, Mm. would you mind describing those to me and then maybe describing what it means to have both of them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so endometriosis is where tissue similar to the endometrium um, grows outside of the uterus. Uh, It's a whole body disease. It's been found in every major organ um, and it can affect your entire body. So it causes painful periods, heavy bleeding, um, sometimes infertility, pain with bowel movements, with urination, and also intercourse. Uh, Adenomyosis is a thickening of the uterus lining. It also causes heavy periods, painful periods, and um, fatigue and can feel like everything is swelling. And so with any of those experiences alongside your cycle or breakthrough bleeding, I would encourage you to go and see a doctor and talk about the possibility of having either of these conditions. And it's really bloody hard. And um, the navigation of that in professional contexts is really difficult. I've worked in highly predominantly male spheres and um, kind of like just went to work without talking about it. And if I'd had that kind of permission then Mm. I feel like that workspace would have been a much more healthy environment for me and I would have been way more productive as well 
Well, thank you for sharing it on the radio. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> thank no, you really, for asking. I think that this would be, you know, impactful for someone listening mm. um, who may be going through the same thing. So, um, yeah, thank you for bringing that with you. The next one you've chosen to play is called Blood. Yes. <laughs> is there a reason you picked that? <laughs> yeah, so it's by Exhibitionist, um, my dear friend Kirsty Tickle, um, and... Not that the song is about uh, like what we've just been speaking about, <laughs> but I absolutely love it and it felt really fitting to have a groove to this one. I feel like you can have a dance, you can sing along. It's excellent. This is Blood by Exhibitionist on FBI Radio 94.5. Blood, it was Exhibitionist on FBI Radio 94.5. You might also know Exhibitionist as the project of Kirsty Tickle, one half of Party Dozen. And Kirsty's also your friend, Bree, my yes. guest on Out of the Box today. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Tell me about that. Uh, okay. So we met, uh, Kirsty and I met at a festival many, many, many years ago. And it was just like, friendship at first sight (laughs) and we have clicked ever since and Kirsty is an extraordinary artist um, with a capacity to share her artistry with a plethora of different people with different experiences and all of her projects have inspired me and yeah it's been a joy to get to know her over the years and I yeah I adore her. She's Sydney-based. Yes. Um, before you were talking about when you were in Tassie coming mm. up to Sydney whenever you got the chance to work mm. on little projects, did you get to spend time with Kirsty during those visits? Yeah, yeah. I think it was at one of those um, like off-contract, I will call it, um, uh, times where I was working hospo and we both worked behind a bar and that was the um, the <laughs> festival that I'm speaking about. Yeah. It was like, yeah, we were, we were working... Um, I think Kirsty said it was her first ever bar shift <laughs> at the time. And, yeah, the, after that we would spend a lot of time together, just one of those, like, mutual respectful friendships. And it wasn't until I saw Party Doesn't mm. and it would be, like, if it was a movie scene, it would be all lights flashing, bright, everything kind of, like, hones in on the band and the the person in the crowd is just like, what is this? <laughs> and it blew my mind. And honestly, similarly with the body, my body couldn't stop moving. I was just seeing so much creatively. Mm. I was like, oh, this would be incredible to make work to. And that inspiration has led to some really cool conversations um, with John and Kirsty, Jonathan Boulay, the other half of um, Party Dozen. 
Yes. (laughs) Some cool conversations and some cool projects. We will talk about your performance with them in a few minutes, but we're not there yet. I want to go back to Melbourne (laughs) again. (laughs) Because, yeah, you studied dance there, but that wouldn't be the end of your journey, you know, doing dance at Mm. Melbourne Uni. Was it Melbourne Uni? Yeah, it was Melbourne Uni. So I think at the time when I studied, it was VCA, Victorian College of the Arts, Mm. um, and then has since been engulfed by um, Melbourne Uni. Uh, Yeah, so I was asked back to choreograph, which was a huge dream of mine. Yeah, big opportunity for me as a young person to create a work on the students at the VCA. And I, at the same time, was asked to cover a spot uh, on the teaching staff. And, yeah, I arrived there with kind of like real optimism Mm. As a lay person, you know, I understand dancing to be dancing mm. and then choreography to be almost designing the dancing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what does it mean to be a choreographer in a university setting? Why is that such a big deal for you? Yeah, so I think it's just it's a really big step forward in an opportunity. Also, institutions have resources that so me as an independent artist in Sydney would Mm. pay for everything I would um, you know hire venues like small venues which could only rig like quite a few lights whereas in this institution context it was like full rig Mm. full soundscape like everything that you could like a costume team designer everything and so just that capacity to build a work um, at that point in my career was like really exciting yeah how special to be yeah so cemented as an artist that you're not showing others how to do it what year did you join staff at the Mm. university well the uh the the year 2020 oh no what did that mean for you (laughs) uh it meant it meant sadly i missed out on an international tour with a brilliant company marigeku but it also meant that i had to very quickly pivot to online teaching and I don't know if you can really quite fathom teaching young people dance and technique through a screen um, in like one square meter kind of environments and we had to make like parody for every student so it was you know some people had bigger spaces some people had smaller Mm. so we had to make sure that the material could fit in the smallest space and they were really confined and my heart goes out to all those students that I taught across zoom yeah it was a really significantly challenging time but especially being in Melbourne in Mm. 2020 as well that's like a whole nother layer to that absolutely absolutely and it was an exceptionally challenging time that I've never been so stressed in my life. And any time that we had this like luxurious moment to come back into the studios, the joy and the kind of like celebration of that was palpable and powerful. Mm. One of my favorite projects, like I think this was maybe even the second year, um, which was still, you know, we were still in lockdowns. I think we had five at one point um, back to back, but I got to work with students that weren't part of dance so lawyers scientists mathematicians that had just chosen a subject um, and it was called like build and create dance and this was probably my highlight of the year where these people that hadn't had any experience with dance came together and learnt 
some you know basic movement kind of exercises but then they themselves built a dance together and it was genuinely like ear to ear smiles the capacity of connection in that time was so needed and the students brought so much vulnerability but also like compassion to Mm. one another and like it was a motley group of people (laughs) with vastly different dance experience and the it culminated in a um small performance where it was just myself and the director of dance watching because it was yeah we had to have like written permission to leave our houses at this time and I literally cried like nothing else because in that moment I was like wow the power of movement but also connection and that's what I guess we all strive for at the end of the day is to connect with other people and connect different experiences and difference and yeah in that moment I was like okay (laughs) um amazing I'm so glad you got to have that moment you know just before we're talking about how exciting it is to be a choreographer and you know land this job and then the downfall of that Mm. unfortunately being in 2020 but you know, making these little pearls for you, these yeah. like really precious memories. When you get to the end of that stint, mm. teaching over Zoom, teaching dance over Zoom <laughs> in the Melbourne lockdowns of the early pandemic, how did you feel? Can you take us there? When everything started to like open up again and we were able to like return to the studio, I had taken on the um, crazy idea of studying my honours as well. And that meant that I was working pretty much full-time while studying and uh, again the stress levels returned the the workspace work environment was challenging it was really challenging students incredible but I had a beautiful lecturer that I was working with Daniel Riley who had found out that he was a newly appointed director of Australian Dance Theatre so that is was extraordinary and he invited me to be a company member and so right at the end of my time at VCA I knew that on the horizon I was able to return to the art form full like full body full practice and you know knowing that I'd just navigated the pandemic but also um, returning to like full health with like after my surgery mm. and navigating the stresses of um, many other like personal things it was such a a light for me the mm. the idea of working with Dan in a different context in an artistic context and also leaving the institution I needed to get out mm. of the kind of parameters and bureaucratic kind of ugh, yeah mm. <laughs> <laughs> let's leave it there cool <laughs> sorry jump into a song by us yes <laughs> why'd you pick this one power tripper I picked this one because it feels like a big uh I'm not gonna swear but it feels like such a powerful antidote to what I've like been talking about and I listen to this when I need to celebrate and also rage
You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Mia Hull. I'm sitting down with Brie Kell, contemporary dancer, choreographer, and part of the other side, a performance happening at Campbelltown Arts Centre very soon. Brie chose that song that we just played. It was by us. It was called Power Tripper. A member of us, Jonathan Boulay, is also one half of Party Dozen, who's also going to be performing with you at yes. Campbelltown Arts Centre as part of The Other Side. Yes. Such an amazing project. I feel like we've been leading up to it, this whole mm. interview, talking about Kirsty and talking about Jonathan. How do these three artists mix into one piece, Bree? Tell me about it. Uh, it's such a... Um, this is such a like special project to me and something that I've really been dreaming up for many years and I feel like exceptionally honoured to be working with both Kirsty and John on this. The other side is is a wild um, exorcism of stagnant energy and we have come together in like a highly improvised way and we had the pleasure of quite a long lengthy development so commissioned by Campbelltown Arts Centre which we are absolutely super grateful for we got into the studio and started to improvise together and quickly found these different worlds or environments, I like to call them, and built the the show. Um, what to expect is, I think, really awesome music. <laughs> it's all brand new. Never before heard Party Doesn't Music. Never, never before heard, yeah. And I am yeah dancing choreographing Mm. but we're performing together so it's like feels to me like a trio Mm. um we also have these otherworldly visuals from multidisciplinary artist Jodie Whalen and yeah it feels like this incredible kind of universe that is made uh slightly dystopian a little bit post-apocalyptic uh hopeful my uh, outside eye recently said it feels like hopeful anxiety it's very <laughs> restless and I was like perfect yeah. it feels like exactly how I like what needed to happen after being locked down being like yeah in this like box of time well people sometimes say that anxiety and excitement are like the same feeling right mm, yeah <laughs> yeah it's like this bubbling kind of um, perpetual motion or energy and Really, actually, with this show, like I, I wanted to test performance like capacity and through repetition and virtuosic feats, both sonically and physically, like how we could push one another within the creative space. And I have some really like fond memories, obviously, of the the studio practice. We've got one more day tomorrow mm. um, in the studio, but the the show itself is is like you have a a world in front of you and you look through a kaleidoscope and you get one one scene and then the world shifts the kaleidoscope shifts and then you're into the other and so it's quite Mm. non-linear throughout the show today we've been talking about your practice as very tactile Mm. or you know, not just informed by the music you're listening to but by the space and the textures and the way that you feel and understand things. Mm -hmm. What are the feelings and textures on stage during the other side? I feel like you experience moments of like power, moments of resilience or um, like re-emerging from dark spaces. There's a scene called what I have fondly called Sexy Swamp and it feels like a (laughs) rebirth. 
um, but it's like swamp creature meets sexy heroine um, and that leads to feelings of yeah rebirth uh, strength what else I feel like there's there's moments of stillness or contemplation deep contemplation for the audience I think the beauty of dance is it's so abstract yeah and can be really difficult for audiences to attach to a lot of time contemporary dance audiences are like oh I don't get it and mm. and can be quite stressful for them but I'm just gonna say permission to not understand but permission to like feel how you want to feel and if it if it has a moment in there if you're like whoa what was that that's good and if you don't perceive it as a sexy swamp scene then that's totally no, it might be more swamp than sexy yeah, yeah. <laughs> might be more sexy than swamp but depends what you're into <laughs> that's it that's right but yeah it's been so nice talking to you Bree, and I love what you said about it being abstract because mm. I think this interview has really shifted the way that I think about dance. Um, Not that I didn't see it as an art form before, but Mm. the way that you talk about your practice, you sound like a visual artist. Mm. And I don't think of it that way. I think think of it more in terms of the physicality of dance. Mm. So it's so amazing to hear you talk about it. With the other side, you and Party Dozen are both experimental artists. It's amazing that you saw them at Oxford Arts that time and mm. had that visceral experience. Now you get to share that with an audience. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Absolutely. The Yeah, the visceral experience um, continues. Yeah. It really continues. And it's a full, um, like, hospitality of that era dreamboat because we also have Julia Cripple making costumes. And she and I used to work in a cafe together and it just feels like those creative relationships have, like, forged such um rich like future future making yeah amazing i can't wait to see this <laughs> i can't wait for everyone to see it too <laughs> so that's kicking off at campbelltown art center on thursday the 23rd of february there are going to be three shows so it's the thursday the friday the 24th and then the saturday the 25th of february the other side by brianna kell and party dozen i'll put all the details to that one up on the programs page on fbiradio.com Other than this performance, Brie, is there anything else you have coming up that we can look forward to from you? Yes, I'm actually off to Melbourne um, on Sunday. I'm working with the um, Australian Dance Theatre and we're collaborating with the Australian Ballet. So completely different Mm. to this show that I've just made or am making. And um, that will be premiering at the Opera House in May. Amazing. Okay, well... Should we keep an eye on your Instagram for that one? Yes, yeah. yes, okay. please. <laughs> cool. Got to up my Instagram now. <laughs> yeah. At free. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Out of the Box. It's been so special getting to learn about dance like this. Thank you so much, Mia. It's been absolutely exquisite talking to you <laughs> and making me feel so comfortable. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I feel like we should end on a Party Dozen song. What do you Yes, have? <laughs> let's do it. I love this one. What song is it? Mac of the Mutt. It is an extraordinary song and uh, testament to how brilliant Kirsty and John are. You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. This song is by Party Dozen. It's called Mac of the Mart and it was chosen by my guest on the show today, contemporary dancer and choreographer Brianna Kell. 
Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. If you did want to listen back to this episode, you can do that on the programs page on fbiradio.com. I'll also have a full list of the songs that Brie brought to the show and some info for the things we've spoken about, including her upcoming show, The Other Side, which kicks off at Campbelltown Arts Centre on Thursday, Feb 23, all the way through until Saturday, Feb 25. You can also listen back to this show on the programs page or via the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And do stay tuned. Lunch is right around the corner. FBI. FBI.